Hi, I'm Joe Feeks, editor of Pig Health Today, and with me is Dr. Paul Sundberg. He's executive director for the Swine Health Information Center. Thanks for joining us today. It's my pleasure, Joe. Thanks for the opportunity. You bet. Um, you know, this time last year when we talked, you were starting this ambitious project of trying to bring together all the diagnostic information from Iowa, Minnesota, Kansas, and South Dakota with the hope of doing more analytical work that would help the pork industry. Where do you stand on that project yeah, now? This is exciting. Knowledge is power. And so right now we're in the spot where we've got those four veterinary diagnostic labs coordinated in what they're doing with reporting diseases and how they're doing it. So now is our opportunity to be able to take a look at the information that they have. And at one point, this is all aggregate information. It's nothing about an individual farm. It's all aggregate information of the things that are coming into the diagnostic labs with the objective of one, looking for how we can better handle the diseases we have, and two, to look for other things that may be emerging that we would, that would hide if we weren't in this effort. So for example, if somebody from Georgia sends in some samples about some clinical syndrome that they're seeing in Georgia and they send that into Iowa State and somebody from Ohio sees the same thing but sends it into Minnesota, before those two things wouldn't get together. Now we can put that kind of information together so we can do a better job of looking for emerging diseases also. And so um, is there an opportunity then for other states to start pooling their data into the system or are you gonna keep it at those four? No, no, there absolutely is an opportunity for that. What we've got there in our veterinary diagnostic labs, we know that about 96% of our diagnostics go through those four laboratories. So the vast majority do. But there are also private laboratories and other smaller laboratories around the country that are all part of the National Animal Health Laboratory Network, the NALN system. So they are getting information, they are getting samples. And that ability for those laboratories to message the results in the same way is gonna be available to everybody. So we've got, we're getting to the point where we're gonna have 96% now but I'm hopeful that we'll fill in that little gap that's left. Now, a pork producer might say, well, that's great, but I'm really concerned about the bugs that are on my farm. Why should a pork producer be excited knowing that you have this capability to see these regional patterns? And so yeah, on? yeah, because the issue there is um, being able to predict the future and being able to um, help people understand the risks that might be coming at them. Because again, like I said, knowledge is power. And if you have the knowledge of what's going on around you or what's, going on, what's likely to happen, then you have the ability either to prevent it, which is the goal, to prevent something, at least the ability to be better prepared. And that leads to the ability to better respond. So, I mean, in terms of the database now, I mean, can you give me a, a sense of just how big it is and, and, you know, where it was a year ago and where you are today? Yeah, yeah, okay, so, so there's one thing. Um, it's not a grand central database. That's an important thing. Each of the diagnostic labs have separate databases that they control for their information, and that way they service their clients. So it's not giving up information on their clients, they still control that, all right? But what we can do is we can aggregate it. 
we can put it together so for analysis. That's really all we're doing. We're not putting it together to hold it. All we're doing is putting together to be able to analyze if we can see something going on. So, for example, um, PERS. One thing that we found in December of last year through February of this year, there's been a spike in PERS samples sent into the diagnostic lab. Well, those are numbers. And, and just raw numbers, naked numbers, really don't mean anything unless you give them some context. So we've also put together an advisory group of people that are out on the ground, veterinarians and producers that from around the country that are willing to give us some advice on what these numbers mean. So they give us some context to those. These PERS numbers were higher in December through February. So we asked them about that and they said, yeah, we understand they're higher, but what we're doing out here in the country is we're not seeing uh, a big outbreak in PERS. What we're doing is we're sending in more samples for better monitoring. So you're seeing more numbers coming into the laboratory, but it's, it's a different monitoring system. So that's why it's important to, to put some context behind all this. We can't just throw out numbers and say, here's what we've got, but we've got to interpret it and analyze it a bit. Now you mentioned PERS, and certainly that's an important disease that warrants your attention. What other diseases are you tracking through the system? Right now, we're looking at PERS, we're looking at PED, a cousin of PED, Delta Corona, which is another coronavirus that we have. And we're also looking at a, at a disease syndrome, a central nervous system disorders. So that's brain, spinal cord, infections, pigs go down, they can't get up, um, nervous signs, those kinds of things. So that's, that's another cool part of this, that we can actually look at that information from the diagnostic labs for syndromes as well as for specific diseases. And that's very helpful. So would that be specific to the central nervous system syndrome that, that you mentioned, or might you be looking at other like respiratory con complexes yeah. and, and yeah. things like that? Right now, the, this is a young program. We've just been able to get it going. So we start with PERS PED, um, Delta coronavirus and CNS syndromes. We are looking at how we can expand it to respiratory syndromes, to enteric syndromes, and spe more specific pathogens within those, so we can do even a better job of, of feeding back to producers what's going on. Excellent. And so where do you see this project, let's say, a year from now? Oh, I, I, that's the exciting part because we're just getting it started and we're learning how to, how to manipulate it, we're learning what to do. We're making it available to uh, epidemiologists and academicians, and again, like I said, the veterinarians with this context issue, for them to take a look at the data and help us analyze, because really the, the brass ring here is we wanna grab that ability to be able to help producers and veterinarians predict what's gonna happen near or on their farms, rather than tell them what happened a week or a month or three months ago. We want to get in front of it, not behind the diseases. And I think this data and that analysis, and that's the next step is the real down-home analysis of the information and ongoing analysis of that, that's going to be the exciting next step that's really going to lead to something. Well, it certainly will be, and uh, congratulations on getting that started. I, I did want to ask you too, though, about uh, foreign animal diseases. Yeah. I know you spend a lot of time yeah. tracking those as well. Thank goodness we don't have them in our country yeah. yet, but uh, could you tell us a little bit about your work there? Yeah, sure. So in 2012, 
the year before PED showed up in the U.S., we knew PED was circulating in China. And we all said it's a good thing that we don't have it here. But we didn't do anything about it. So one of the things that, that we're, we're working on, and one of the exci another exciting piece, is this international monitoring, this international disease monitoring, looking over the hill to be better at predicting what it might come at us. Because if we can predict what might come at us, the, the real goal is to shut the window so it can't get here. But if we can't do that, at least we can be better prepared because when, when you're better prepared to find it, you're also better prepared to respond to it. You find it earlier before it goes everywhere, so you can do a better job in response and hopefully limit the, limit the uh, effects of it. So that's some of the international monitoring things that we're doing. I have a working group that looks at, that has contacts um, all over the world. Veterinarians, practicing veterinarians go overseas to consult. Um, they see what's going on in other countries. Academicians have their cohorts in other universities in other countries that they talk to all the time. Even USDA does international monitoring. And so what we're looking at is putting all of those different forms of information together, coalescing them into one spot so we can provide that information for producers, veterinarians, but as importantly for academics, for our diagnostic labs, to be on the lookout for these types of things that might be coming. One more question on the foreign animal diseases. I know from talking with Dr. Scott D. up at Pipestone, he's done an awful lot of research showing how PED got into this country yeah. initially, but then he's um, done other work with you know surrogate viruses yeah. and so forth to, to show that a lot of these foreign animal diseases have the potential of coming in through the feed or feed ingredients. What do we do about that? Okay, so uh, that was a, that this this analysis is another center-funded project. So we're glad to have that done. Um, we have to be careful about the interpretation of what that means, because what we're what Scott with Dr. D. Dr. Yell at South Dakota State and Niederwerder at Kansas State have been able to show is that there are different potentials for transport of viruses in different feed ingredients. So for example, the surrogate thing, um, for foot and mouth, the surrogate is Seneca Valley virus. Sh they can show, that data shows that Seneca Valley virus, the surrogate for FMD, um, survives very well in a lot of feed ingredients we bring into the country. Classical swine fever, not so much. So there's some differences, but it's all, at this point, it's all a demonstration of a model that will show transport. We still have the next steps to be able to show transmission. So for example, if we transport just a little bit of whatever virus it is into the country, if we transport that much in, but it takes this much to infect a pig, that much isn't gonna make any difference to us. So we need to know how much it takes to infect a pig, how much we're bringing in, and then if this much is coming in, but this much to infect a pig, that means we've gotta decrease that amount and we've gotta look at ways to mitigate that. Well, I'm sure the uh, pork industry appreciates all your efforts and the efforts of your colleagues to uh, try to protect them from foreign animal diseases, but also to track these domestic diseases that are already in our herds. I'll tell you, like I said, knowledge is power, and this is about the Swine Health Information Center. 
and we're focusing on information for producers and for their veterinarians. All right, well, they're lucky to have you. <laughs> We've been talking to Dr. Paul Sunberg. He's a veterinarian and executive director for the Swine Health Information Center. Paul, thanks again. Yep, my pleasure.